This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Now let's take one little trip to the future. Let's get in the DeLorean and let's go out a hundred years, okay, from now. Where do you see this technology? Where do you see this therapy? I think that our own biology should be a catalyst for a renaissance in medicine. There are over a hundred million people in the United States that have two or more morbidities. They cost our healthcare system 2.2 trillion. If we can harness this power, I don't know if people live a lot longer, but they'll live a lot better and the quality of our life should be significantly better. And it shouldn't take a hundred years to get there. Let me guess, you're an entrepreneur looking for ways to grow your business online. And you've probably tried everything to grow your business, including social media, SEO, even paid ads, only to find out that nothing truly works. So what if I told you that writing a book that goes on to become a bestseller is the magic wand, and that you can do it in as little as 30 days, two weeks, or even over a weekend in some cases, without spending more than 10 minutes a day. Would you be interested? My name is Roger Brooks, and I'm the founder and host of American Real TV, where I interview world-class guests to empower others through the essence of story. But I didn't get here overnight, and my mission certainly doesn't end here. Ever since I was a little boy, it's been my dream to empower others through the craft of writing and storytelling. And throughout my life, I came across several mentors who pushed me toward my passion for writing books and helping others to do the same. Yet, it took me much longer than I had hoped to overcome my own self-limiting beliefs and to finally write my first book. Why? Because I was dealing with the same challenges as 98.5% of people do who set out to write a book but failed. It was things like overcoming self-doubt, not having enough content to write about, and a lack of confidence in my own writing abilities. But once I figured that part out, it opened the floodgates. Not only did I establish lasting credibility for myself within my industry, but after doing this for 15 years, I developed a technique to help others do the same within their industry, which is by writing their very own best-selling book within 90 days or less. Today, I am finally able to pursue my passion to help others get over the goal line. My name is Andre Hagel Jr. and I am a 20-year-old entrepreneur and full-time college student. And I took Roger Burke's course on how to write a book in 90 days and it absolutely changed my life. To help them with the one thing that they need to attain the business success that they truly deserve, their first book. So he had challenged me to write my first book um, back in 2019 and just about 78 days later I ended up writing my first book um, which was just an awesome journey. Roger made it so easy for me to just follow his guide, follow his coaching, follow his techniques and you just get into this flow state and Roger does such a great job of coaching you through the entire process. There is no greater joy than to be working with aspiring authors and to help them establish true credibility within their industry by writing and publishing their first book, which I'm proud to say have all gone on to become bestsellers. Now, you're seeing this video because I just opened enrollment for my new book writing program, where I promise to take you from page one to published in 90 days or less. I will be personally working with you to overcome the same fears and obstacles that kept me from pursuing my dreams all of those years. Simply click on the link below to see how I could help you become a first-time best-selling author. I look forward to seeing you on the inside.
This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Matthew Feshback. After a 30-year career in the investment business, you entered stem cell therapy. You sold your first stem cell therapy center of excellence in 2017 to a company in the Bahamas and have now opened Ambrose Cell Therapy Center of Excellence in Tampa, Florida, where you are the founder and CEO. Matt, I'm so glad we put this together. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Roger. I appreciate it. I love talking to people about new topics of interest. This is something that I know nothing about and I'm really interested today to learn for myself and for our listeners and viewers so you could educate us about uh, stem cells and stem cell therapy. So my first question is, how does one go from the investment business to this business? Well, my story is even more unconventional than that. Um, I, I barely graduated from high school. I didn't go to college. And no joke, my worst two subjects were math and biology. So when I got out of the when I got out of high school, I had the choice between being a burger flipper at McDonald's, an ice cream scooper at Baskin Robbins, which I'm a little older than you are. Uh, minimum wage was about a buck sixty-five an hour, but I was good enough at math to realize that I could teach tennis because I'd played some competitive tennis as a kid, and make six dollars an hour. So. <clears throat> At that time, I was living in um, Silicon Valley. At, uh, in those days, we called it the peninsula. And um, I started teaching tennis to uh, wealthy people in Atherton and Palo Alto and like that at their homes. And a number of these guys were really became investment legends. And I got so I got very interested in the investment business took a correspondence course because of course there was no such thing as the internet on securities analysis, kind of fell in love with that and ended up starting one of the very early hedge funds in 1982 called Feshback Brothers. But sticking with my sort of um, uh, unique approach (laughs) to my future, instead of going long, I went short. So we bet it, We bet against stocks. We bet that stocks would go down. Anyway, that was very successful. We took $20,000 and turned it it into a billion-dollar hedge fund in nine years, compounded money at over 40% a year net for those nine years. But 1991 was a very tough year, and I just felt that the strategy sort of died. So I, um, I started looking for something new to do unwound that hedge fund um, and eventually, and I won't take you through it all, um, I made it through the great bear market and recession of 2009. Uh, a friend of mine told me have, or asked me one day, have you ever heard of a stem cell? I said, no, what's a stem cell? He said, well, it's the most basic cell in your body. Well, what does it do? Well, it actually, um, it's a blank slate and they're responsible for <laughs> excuse me, Uh, stem cells are responsible for basically developing or repairing your body, depending on the type of stem cell. And I was like, wow. And he said, you ought to invest in this company. And I started researching it. I became completely obsessed with it. At that time, my my twin brother, who sadly has passed away, but uh, he and I collaborated on a lot of things. So we worked on it together and we called... um, stem cell researchers literally from Israel to Japan, Italy to Holland, New York to Dallas, Chicago to LA, and did a couple thousand hours of research in about a year. And I really believed it was going to, it was the biggest idea in medicine. And I still believe that today. So that's how I got into it. Um, the, The company that, that my friend, pitched me on to invest in, they, they were good people, great science, great technology, but unfortunately, they just couldn't get it commercialized. And so I decided I could commercialize it by 
going to the Bahamas and I worked with the prime minister and the minister of um, health to actually open the first stem cell therapy center of excellence in the world in the Bahamas. And then as you mentioned in my intro, I sold that in 2017 actually to a group out of Houston. But um, subsequently, there was, a, there was what's called a federal right to try law, which I can explain, that allowed me to do what I was doing in the Bahamas um, in Tampa, Florida. And so I've now opened, uh, I did a few cases in Dallas, and now I've opened in Tampa under the federal right to try law. And what is that uh, right to try law? I've, I've, I've heard of it, and, but I'm not too familiar with what it actually means for an organization. Well, the great thing about the federal right to try law is that it really had bipartisan support. So you can be on either side of the aisle and appreciate it. Uh, but what it, it, what it derives out of are a couple of, um, a, a, a couple of, well, there was the World Health Organization. Now they're prominently in the news for other reasons, but, in their constitution, I think it was in the 40s, they said, hey, everybody's got the right to health and the right to life. And later there was a declaration of human rights or the International Declaration of Human Rights that Eleanor Roosevelt sponsored and got through the UN. And she, it roughly said the same thing, that we all have an innate right to health and a right to life. But if you have those rights, but you don't have the right to try an unapproved drug, then you don't really, that right's not fully enforced. You know, it's not fully um, accessible. So the Goldwater Institute, which is a lib libertarian think tank in Phoenix or Scottsdale, started a right to try movement and it started at the state level and there's about I think there's at least 40 states that have state right to try laws where you can, where a doctor can't have any problems with their, um, with their medical license and a, a company that that's manufacturing it, an unapproved drug doesn't have any problems, shouldn't have any problems at the, at the federal level or at the state medical board level to treat terminally ill patients. Those are the state right to try laws. After about 40 states had, had um, adopted those laws, but they were not, nobody was really using them because uh, people were concerned about um, whether the feds really would give them the freedom to operate. Um, what happened was Senator Ron Johnson uh, sponsored a bill to make uh, the right to try a federal right not just a state right. And that was passed in, I think it was May of 2018, and it's a uniquely evolved bill. So I could explain that a little bit more if you'd like. Sure, it's interesting. And so the, the reason it's, um, it's so um, balanced, I would say, is because in order to use a drug, and the FDA considers stem cells a drug, which is a debatable point, but it is the way they define them. In order to use a drug under the federal right to try law, it has to have been through at least one FDA safety trial. Well, I really love that idea because the stem cells that we use have been used under, um, I think in eight or nine FDA safety trials. So we knew pass muster that way and there's some other criteria and also said, hey, you, you can't just do this for the worried well. You can't do this for people who, uh, you know, are just trying to do whatever they can to live longer, but they're, they're, they don't really have anything wrong with them. It has to be for a terminally ill patient, which we don't treat, or someone with a chronic uh, life-threatening disease. But there's a nuance in that, in that a life-threatening disease doesn't mean you're going to die from it right away. Per the FDA, it could be a debilitating condition where your quality of life sucks, to put it in 
the vernacular. What would be an example of, of something like that, just so we could? Rheumatoid arthritis, uh, osteoarthritis, um, MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all those kinds of things. Okay. And um, the elephant in the healthcare room is that there's six, I think at least 65% of adults, 65 and older, have two or more chronic diseases. They're called morbidities. And those patients often are taking multiple meds, seeing multiple doctors a year, and they still, their quality of life still sucks because very few drugs on the market really cure anything. Could that include diabetes? No, diabetes, absolutely. Diabetes type one and two. And the, what they call the comorbidities, the, the, the diseases that go along with it, like diabetic neuropathy, which is nerve pain and diabetic ulcers or wounds, or uh, you can have kidney disease from diabetes. All those, those patients are, um, and then of course, diabetes often results in heart disease, but so does rheumatoid arthritis. And um, and so on. So cell therapy, and, and particularly our protocols, are uniquely um, able to address the uh, symptoms, dysfunction, and poor quality of life of these patients with debilitating conditions, and even patients with comorbidities, which I can explain. Okay. So can you walk us through an example of what your company is doing, who they're trying to help and who you're, who you're doing it for. Are you doing it directly for the, the, the patient or are you working on behalf of a, of, of, of a larger entity? So we're what they call in, in business, a specialty healthcare service provider. So we're treating patients with their own adult stem cells. Let me explain just really briefly what an adult stem cell is and where the best source of those stem cells happens to be. Excuse me. <clears throat> so people often wonder, well, do stem cells work? And the answer is, of course they work because we're all products of stem cells. We're all walking stem cell products, the sperm and the egg, and the sperm and the egg develop into the embryo. I'm not trying to give a, a birds and the bee talk here, but they, <laughs> develop into the embryo and the embryo has about 90 stem cells in it. And those are blank slates and they can do two things. They differentiate into all the different cell types of our body and then they infinitely replicate. So as we're sitting here today or the viewers or listeners are um, listening to our uh, podcast, we have about 36 trillion cells that came from those 90 embryonic stem cells. When we're born, we, we don't have a, a need for those embryonic stem cells because they're developmental cells. They grow your brain, they grow your heart, et cetera. What we have a need for are repair cells or repair stem cells. And those cells are called mesenchymal stem cells. You don't have to remember what a, or know what a, the science part of a mesenchymal stem cell. You just have to re, uh, think of it as a repair stem cell. Okay. So they also differentiate and infinitely replicate into most of the tissues and cell types of our bodies. Not all. But the they're most. one of the 19. No, we were talking about 90. No, it's just... They're one of the 90. I'm sorry. No. Those 90 are gone. Now you've got a new stem cell from a different source in your body. So instead of from an embryo, because the embryo is done, there's another part of the body, I don't want to get too scientific here, that has produced these adult repair cells called mesenchymal stem cells. Okay. What's interesting is they're in every tissue of our body. They're in your skin, your teeth, your eyes, uh, your heart, etc. in some form or fashion. Um, They've been used, the, the original research discovered them in the bone marrow, but the most 
accessible, abundant, and potent source of those stem cells is your body fat. And your body fat is called your adipose tissue. And just to add one more little interesting thing is, in that body fat, you have other types of what we call regenerative cells. So cells that support your immune system, and so cells that support your vascular system, and cells that um, do other things and work harmoniously with those mesenchymal stem cells. So you have a mixed population of cells. And it makes sense to use the mixed population because that's what's keeping you alive, whether they're in your bone marrow or whether they're in your heart or whatever. All those cells are found throughout the body. So we take those that mixed population of stem and regenerative cells from your adipose tissue or your fat, and we reintroduce them to the patient to, and they, they do some really amazing things. And when so you I, say reintroduce, how is that, that administered? You either uh, inject them through the vein, you know, intravenously, you can, um, or you can inject them directly into different tissues. Okay. And we happen to have protocols where we do both. Without getting too technical, we do both. And what's interesting, let's take a, an example of, some, uh, of a certain disease, if that's okay. Please, that would be great. So, um, so a pretty common um, autoimmune disease is, is rheumatoid arthritis. So rheumatoid arthritis is an abnormal immune response and anything with an itis means there's inflammation and your immune system is not behaving itself it's attacking you to save it yourself in the case of to save the body in the case of rheumatoid arthritis that manifests in severe joint pain and joint degeneration so if you so there are something like 165,000, no, well, I'm not sure it's that quite that many on just mesenchymal stem cells, but let's say there's more than 50,000 papers on just mesenchymal stem cells. Um, <clears throat> and each one of them starts out with, hey, these cells are anti-inflammatory and they modulate the immune response. They dampen it down. They bring it back to balance. That's called homeostasis. So you, here you've got somebody and they may be taking a a rheumatoid arthritis drug, the most popular one, and I think the most profitable drug on the planet is called Umira. And Umira doesn't modulate your immune response, it suppresses it. Now, a lot of patients respond to Umira, otherwise it wouldn't be such a successful drug, but there are many, many patients who have a lot of adverse effects from, from Umira or other immunosuppressant drugs and those are what we call no option patients. That's our patient. So we treated uh, in the Bahamas a number of rheumatoid arthritis patients who were no option patients. They'd failed, um, they'd failed Umira, they'd failed uh, a cancer drug that's also used called methotrexate and um, failed other therapies, maybe even opioids, et cetera. There was a gal in Florida, in fact, who had failed all those things and was very, very, uh, you know, she was just in chronic pain, wasn't, um, you know, having a difficult time being a mother, that kind of thing. And we treated her and over about a three or four month period, that inflammation that she was experiencing systemically started to dampen down and the, um, abnormal immune response got under control. But then what happens is, and again, all these papers on mesenchymal stem cells say the same thing. These cells actually help create blood flow. So the, the reason you get joint degeneration in rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis or um, <coughs> other conditions is because the little blood vessels die off from the inflammation and the abnormal immune response these cells actually create new little blood vessels. So you get new blood flow and they improve your vascular system as well. But then they also um, 
when you've had degeneration, you've had cell death. And when a cell dies, it's, they're, they're a little bit like robotic. <laughs> so when a cell dies, the cells around them see that they're dying. And so they join in the parade and that's called um, programmed cell death or apoptosis. Well, for some reason, these mesenchymal stem cells and the adipose-derived regenerative cells that we use, or ADRCs, they actually reverse that programmed cell death. So now you get new blood flow, and now the cells stop dying, but the amazing thing is scar can be reversed. Hmm. And that's, that's actually quite a miracle when you think about it, because scar is basically, um, it's like putting uh, plywood over a window after it was broken, right? There's really no life in, in scar, but there may be enough cells in the surrounding area to, um, or even within the scar, there may be some live cells and it reverses. And that, that not only for that rheumatoid arthritis patient, but think about all the cancer patients who have scar tissue from radiation. And there have been many case reports and studies that show that that same scar tissue or fibrosis can be reversed after cancer treatments. Wow. And so now you've got the fact that cells are anti-inflammatory, immunomodulatory, they supply new uh, blood flow, they stop cell death, they reverse scar, and then as a stem cell is supposed to do, they should regenerate new tissue. So here's the funny thing about these adult stem cells. They don't always do that. <laughs> they don't really do the most stem-like thing they're supposed to do. But that doesn't prevent the patient from feeling a whole lot better and doing a whole lot more. So that rheumatoid arthritis patient went from very debilitated to doing hot yoga, taking her kids to school, um, off all, of, all meds, you know, re, rejuvenated her family life. Now, was she perfect? I always like to make sure people know. Some people do get to a point where they're completely asymptomatic. But that's not really what our patient's looking for. Our patient just doesn't want to be debilitated. They don't want to, they want to be able to do what they want to do. Some patients, they want to, they want to go back to sports and being a jock. And some people want to go back to gardening taking a walk that's up to them but the main thing is when you that woman had very bad uh, issues with her feet and her ankles she'd had multiple surgeries terrible joint pain curled up fingers we treated that all in one one procedure and, and Matt what happens I mean are her fingers going back to normal uh-huh yeah, incredible. Many times because that curling up of the fingers—that's a lot. That's a lot because of lack of blood flow. You get a similar condition in diabetes, which you asked about, called Charcot foot, where the toes curl up because there's just not enough blood flow and the nerves aren't working very well. So the toes curl up. Uh, you get claw toes. So uh, unlike hammer toes from sports or congenital hammer toes like I have, sorry, too much information. But um, we treated, I think, three patients with Charcot foot and all of them had early and sustained response in terms of just, and that's, it's not a pleasant or comfortable feeling when your toes are all curled up from lack of blood flow, right? So um, in fact, at some point during our talk here, I'll tell you the story of our spinal cord injury patient who also had diabetes and also had uh, these comorbidities from diabetes that is one of the most remarkable cases ever in the history of medicine. Wow. But so he's not perfect. And I always try to make sure people realize he's not perfect. He's just more active than he was before he had the spinal cord injury. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. This is amazing. Okay. So just a couple of questions off of, of your last segment there. Uh, how does the stem cell know where to go? 
first of all? That's, that's a, uh, an important question. I'm sure you're told you ask a lot of great questions, but that's one of the most important ones. So stem cells um, home to in- inflammation. Okay. So there's some signaling. So you have DNA and then the DNA tells the RNA, you know, kind of what to do and how to, what to do in the body. And there's RNA signaling that basically finds um, inflammation and lack of oxygen or hypoxia. Anywhere in the body. Could be in the knee, could be in the toe. Anywhere in the body. And there's, there's some parts of the body that are easier to, for the stem cells to migrate to than others. Like if you put stem cells into the vein for a knee, it's probably not going to make it to the knee. It's just a funny structure. But if you put stem cells into the vein for the stomach and contrary to popular belief, the brain or um, actually the easiest organ is the lungs but also the, the colon, all those things, um, all those um, organs, if there's inflammation, the stem cells will migrate to them to a greater or lesser degree. Incredible. Like, not like, oh, they all end up there. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, you know, it's not like a fraternity party <laughs> where everybody wants to go to the same place. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. And then the next question is, how sustainable is it? Like, do you have to do this on a regular basis? How often do people need the the actual treatment? Well, that is an amazing, that's the amazing um, benefit of of clinical grade cell therapy delivered in a a center of excellence um, uh, environment or platform. So, so we have patients now that I talked to uh, from when we treated them in the Bahamas that are now, let's see, we, we treated our first patient in 2014. So some of them are almost, uh, well, almost seven, six years out, right? And, you know, most of them are doing great. Amazing. They've only been treated once. Does that mean we didn't ever retreat anybody? Or does it mean that no one, that everyone responded uh, or there were what what they call medicine, uh, there were no non-responders? Yeah, we had a percentage of patients that were non-responders and there was a spectrum of benefit. But I'll give you an example. We, we treated a patient for heart failure. And this woman was 71 years old had difficulty walking upstairs, had been told by her cardiologist, get ready for hospice. You know, you're too old for a heart transplant and there's nothing more we can do for you. Classic no option patient, right? Maximally medicated, um, had, I think had stents or bypass surgery or both. And we treated her in October of 2014. And I spoke to her the other day and for the first time since we treated her, she had some new, she was starting to experience some shortness of breath on exertion only. But hey, she's now 77 years old. And guess what? She just started a whole new business, a furniture business at the age of 77. And I think that there are some things she could do in her life that would help her with her breathing like that some of the breathing stuff we talked about offline, the nasal yes. breathing, uh, because one of the things that affects um, heart function, oddly enough, is sleep apnea. And she has some sleep apnea, and that may may be causing her to, to um, relapse a little bit. But still, based on uh, a cohort of similar patients, she should have been dead a long time ago. I mean, and I'm not, I'm saying that because I'm proud she's not, you know what I mean? She should, she should have, she, I mean, she was told to go home and prepare for hospice. It, it's, it's amazing. So, um, is not, you know, that I have many examples of that, but, um, but 
the, we, we also treated a young woman for diabetic neuropathy. And she was not a very compliant uh, patient. Well, she was not compliant when she went to college and she often wouldn't check her blood sugars, wouldn't take her insulin. And she ended up with this horrible neuropathy. She was in and out of the hospital, um, often pain meds, the whole thing, ended up get, becoming more compliant, was living in New York, but couldn't really wear shoes, uh, had to take uh, a bath in ice cold water every day to cool her feet off and couldn't sleep with anything on her feet. So we treated her that same kind of protocol where we injected in her feet and we did IV for her type one diabetes and just the systemic inflammation that underlies all these diseases, like there's systemic inflammation, we all know that. And within about two or three months, she was like, hey, I can wear my shoes again. I don't need to take the baths. I, I think that kind of uh, stopped even maybe at a month and then um, was able to get a good job, that kind of thing. But in nine months, she sent me an email and said, hey, Matt, I just want to let you know, I'm playing soccer again. Wow. That's what she loved to do in high school. And when she was younger was play soccer. So somebody with diabetic foot neuropathy that had a pain score of eight or 10. Wow. Well, I talked to her about six months ago. So she was five and a half years out. And she said she'd just been to her endocrinologist who tested her foot. There's a sweat test to see if there's, you know, good function or something. I don't really understand the anatomy of all that or the physiology of all of it. And she had no um, indication of diabetic neuropathy. Like there was, she was, she had a perfect score. That's four and a half years out. So you have to control me a little bit here. Um, Roger, because I'm a storyteller. <laughs> no, it's okay. But I do have some questions off of this. And the first one is, um, you said you're taking the stem cells from the fat? From your fatty tissue. So you got to get a liposuction. Okay. And then what happens after that point? What are you doing with that fat in, in the lab or wherever it's? Right. So first of all, because you have to do a, a liposuction, um, as I like to say, you still can't be too rich, but you can be too thin. So occasionally we tell a patient, you need to gain five or 10 pounds because you don't have enough tissue. So we do this liposuction. And then what we do is we put ours, that, that tissue in a lab in a box uh, that's actually, that lab in a box has been used in eight or nine FDA phase one and phase two trials for both intravascular, um, like cardiac injections, as well as orthopedic injections, as well as for autoimmune conditions, um, and even hair restoration. <laughs> so <laughs> it's also approved in Fort, yeah, there you have it. It's also, we can't help you with that, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the, um, it's also been approved in 40 countries international, including Japan, where it's used daily for multiple different chronic diseases um, that have been approved by the Japanese FDA. It's called the M MHW, I believe, or MW, I'm not sure what it stands for, but in any event, so we put it in that device and we spin it in, a in the centrifuge with a couple of different enzymes. Um, and then the there's a little cell pellet that comes out at the bottom of a test tube. And those are the adipose derived stem and regenerative cells, the cells we get from the fat. And then we reintroduce them in personalized protocols. And sometimes uh, often for the direct injections, we don't even separate those stem cells from and other cells from the fat. We can use um, micronized and cleaned up fatty tissue that has those cells still resident in it to inject in a knee or inject in a, um, in an elbow or a shoulder. And, um, that then those cells release from the fat and do their job that way. It's pretty amazing. So 
most people don't realize that, you know, um, our fat is an organ and it actually is there to keep us alive. It does a job for us. It's not all bad. In fact, we all have to have some fat to survive. So the fact that there are these stem cells and regenerative cells in that adipose tissue is not really an accident. (laughs) But the nice thing is they're sequestered from uh, the rest of the body. They just keep your fat alive. So unlike bone marrow where your bone marrow stem cells decline precipitously with age. Like when you're born, one in every 10,000 cells is a stem cell in your bone marrow. By the time you're 80, which you got a long way to go, but I'm getting closer, it's one in 2 million. So I always tell people, if you're going to use bone marrow stem cells, use them when you're young. And there's also a uh, the mix of these mesenchymal stem cells in bone marrow compared to fat there's just not that many of them compared to fat. So how come the body doesn't naturally take the stem cell from the fat and send it to the areas where it's needed, like rheumatoid arthritis? Because unlike bone marrow, which when you were young, you're, if you had an injury or something like that, stem cells get released from your skin and your bone marrow and they go and they heal you. But as you get older, like I was saying, the number of those cells have declined for different reasons. Okay. With that, the real purpose of these um, adipose-derived regenerative cells is to keep the fat alive. So they don't circulate. They're staying alive. Okay. They don't really have a way to circulate, but because they, and they have this job to do to keep your fat alive because your fat's keeping you alive. Right. That's amazing. So you're taking, you're, you're doing the liposuction, taking the fat out, um, doing what you do. Sorry. Putting the centrifuge. Sorry to interrupt you. Yes. And then injecting it back into the areas where it's needed, depending on the patient's need. And, and you're seeing a remarkable, um, level of success cases. Is that right? Yeah. So in about, depending on the condition, it can be as high as 90% for certain orthopedic issues like your knees and your shoulders, even 95%, a little less for hips. They're a big joint and people usually kind of come much later, but still somewhere in the 80%. Um, and, uh, also for these systemic conditions, yeah, like we, uh, if you don't, can I tell you one more story? Cause this Please. Is, yeah, these are great. So there's another autoimmune condition called lupus and lupus is uh, sort of a horn from the same devil as rheumatoid arthritis. And in fact, a lot of times these patients have these autoimmune conditions, but they're not, you can't really differentiate, you know, it's like, is it really lupus or is it really rheumatoid arthritis or is it another of the, I think there's a hundred different autoimmune conditions. Anyway, this woman didn't just have lupus. She also had something called myasthenia gravis, where your, your eyes kind of start to pop, you know, they sort of swell up and pop out. And so, Um, And lupus, to a much greater degree, leads to organ involvement like lung dysfunction, cardiac issues. It's a much greater degree than even rheumatoid arthritis. It's a tough disease. So she had had it from when she'd been 17. (laughs) She was a registered nurse, so she knew, so she was uh, medically very literate. She'd had it till she was 17 and we treated her when she was about 40. And she basically said at that time, she was in so much pain. She was, she had shortness of breath. Most of the day she was taking multiple pain meds throughout the day so she could do her job. And she had all this inflammation in her eye. And so she was taking um, high doses of prednisone for the myasthenia gravis. Um, and she just said she wanted to die. And the doctor who referred her basically sponsored her to get the treatment because he had referred 25 or 30 other patients to us. 
And you know, again, this is it's a it's a repair process. It's not a um, on and off switch in most cases. So it took about a month, and she started to reduce the number of pain meds, and she started to reduce the uh, she started to reduce the steroids at about two or three months, and at about that same time, so the myasthenia gravis um, was less um, pronounced. And then about the same time, she started to get her energy back and her lungs started working better. See, when you put the stem cells in the vein, first place they go is the lungs. There's a whole COVID-19 story here that we're not, uh, we're not a COVID-19, you know, acute care solution. We couldn't, we, we don't do that, but you can make the argument that these adult stem cells, if they were donor cells or something, could be very, very helpful. And there's 10 or 11 uh, companies that are either about to start trials or starting trials with these mesenchymal stem cells because of that. Amazing. But that for COVID-19. But the point is, uh, her lungs completely resolved her symptoms of heart failure resolved, her energy level came back, her joint pain diminished, and she's been working for that doctor, still his one of his top nurses now, and she's she's six years out. I'm, I'm sorry, no, she's five years out, and I asked the doctor about her the other day, and he said she's doing fine, you know? So does fine mean she never takes an Advil? No. But does fine mean she she's living, her quality of life is significantly improved? Yeah. And that, for a lupus patient, as progressed as she was, is remarkable. That is remarkable. And I, I was actually, my next question was going to be, before you told that story, was how do people find you? And it sounds like it's coming from doctor referrals. Well, we get a lot of doctor referrals and we get a lot of word of mouth. <clears throat> I'm not a huge go on Facebook and market this or go on LinkedIn and market it because um, first of all, I think it's um, we're doing something at a standard of care that is not equivalent to what you might get if you went to an integrative doctor or a Cairo who offers different, in quotes, stem cell therapies that actually aren't stem cell therapies. <laughs> so you, there's a lot of noise out there and a lot of people that are doing things that are not necessarily compliant with either the FDA or the Federal Trade Commission. And what we're trying to do is really talk to an audience that wants to learn about this. And uh, we have a very rigorous um, intake process that includes a lot of education to be sure that the patient actually knows what they're getting and why it, why it could potentially help them. So we have a website, which is ambrosecelltherapy.com, A-M-B-R-O-S-E, cell, C-E-L-L, therapy.com. And people can always call me or email me. My, my phone number is 727-743. 1510. Happy to talk to him myself. Um, and uh, my email is matt at ambrosecelltherapy.com. And that's two T's, the one with the one T you step on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put all those links uh, right in the show notes for people to make it easy, Matt. Um, this is wonderful. A couple of more questions, if you don't mind. Um, start to finish, when you when you first see a patient until the day the, the, the stem cells administered. Um, how, how long of a period of time is that? It can be anywhere from, well, it's minimally two weeks. We don't rush patients in. So we want two weeks because we're doing this in a licensed surgery center, you know, and they're accredited through um, what's called the Joint Commission. So it's, it's super high standard accreditation process. And we're using a board-certified plastic surgeon, board-certified uh, pain doctor to make injections, board-certified anesthesiologist to, um, you know, for the liposuction and sometimes for the injections. So all that, we have to get every one of these doctors 
to clear the patient. <laughs> and then we actually require them to be cleared by their own doctor. And that's part of the laws that we have to get a, a letter from their doctor saying that they're appropriate for what we're doing. That protects everybody, um, et cetera. So that takes at least two weeks, but it's usually more like three or four weeks. Um, and so sometimes we'll do a patient within that two to three week period, but usually because of the education process and the decision making and, you know, people wanting to do their own homework and that kind of thing, it's, it could take two months. Okay. And what about insurance? Do, does insurance cover this? Sadly, no, you know, it's, it's, um, it, you know, it's not FDA approved. It's done under the federal right to try law. And so there's no, um, and then you need to get insurance. You need to have some statistically significant data to go to an insurance company and say, Hey, you're going to save all this money, which they do do. But, um, <coughs> we don't, we have not done enough cases here in the United States to demonstrate that to an insurance company. So unfortunately it's private pay and it's expensive. It can be 30 to $35,000 because you're paying all these doctors, plus you're paying for that device that separates the stem cells, plus you're paying for the nurses and the facility. And so at the end of the day, it's not that it's necessarily supposed to be a charity, but we aren't making any money at this point. Do you see a day when you do have enough trials for this to be approved uh, by the FDA, uh, whereas it will be part of our normal healthcare um, options? Something we aspire to. It's a goal, for sure. But it's a lot of work, and there's a, there's an interesting uh, issue with the FDA and um, and with trial design generally. So when, uh, when most companies go to the FDA, they have a drug that has what they call a signal, single mechanism of action. So if, there's, if it's a drug uh, to treat some inflammation, it's anti-inflammatory. Or if it's a drug that's needed for blood flow, like Viagra for sex or certain drugs for um, cardiovascular disease, then that's what it does. It improves blood flow. Well, these stem cells, they have multiple mechanisms of action. They're anti-inflammatory. They modulate the immune response. They <clears throat> grow new little blood vessels. They stop cell death, reverse scar. Oh, and they're amazing for also restoring the function of your endocrine or your hormone system and also your vascular system and also your immune system. So they do so many things. And by the way, they're another reason, uh, another reason there's a lot of current discussion about them is because they're very antimicrobial. doesn't mean you'll never get another flu bug or a cold or whatever, but, uh, there's a whole science behind that that we could spend another hour on. <laughs> wow. So because of that, the FDA, I believe, has had a difficult time knowing what they're approving. Plus, they don't necessarily work the same way as a drug. So a, a heart drug is supposed to make your heart pump stronger, as an example. Well, we've had patients like the one I described in the beginning of our interview whose heart function remarkably improved and, and her quality of life remarkably improved. But we've also had heart failure patients whose heart function didn't really improve, but they could walk faster. They could get back to activities of daily living because their immune system was functioning better and their overall vascular system was better. And they didn't have that as much chronic systemic inflammation. Like one of the things when there have been trials done that have been reported on is almost every trial shows a remarkable or statistically significant improvement in chronic systemic inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein or something called tumor necrosis factor A. And those are those kind of inflammatory markers are all implicated um, and correlate with the degree of disease. So 
but the FDA doesn't approve drugs on that. And they don't approve drugs because somebody feels better. Maybe they should, but they don't. So there are a lot of, um, a lot of these stem cell trials are just not designed right. And then not to get on a soapbox or talk too long, but trial design generally is very gained. So, you know, drug company says, okay, what's the perfect patient that should show a response here? They still fail a lot of trials, but, um, or have a lot of failed trials, but what's the perfect patient that should respond here? Okay, so we're gonna exclude all the patients that complicate this whole thing. Then they get an approval, then it goes out in the real world, and the drug doesn't work very well. Or there's a lot of side effects because it was only tried on patients that were less likely to have these side effects. There was a, a rheumatoid arthritis drug just that way. It got approved on a six-month trial. Results look great. Within a year or two, I, I can't remember the exact number, but 1,200 people had died from heart complications from that drug. Amazing. The good thing about your own biology, if it's clinical grade like we do it, no side effects from your own biology. That's now awesome. there are people who have done rogue stem cell clinics and they figured out how to mess it up. There's a four letter word for that that starts with a different <laughs> thing than mess. <laughs> yes. Matt, um, how many other companies like yours exist? Well, the best of my knowledge, there's no one in the United States who's operating under the criteria or compliantly with the Federal Right to Try Act. There, there have been studies that have shown there's up to 600 what the FDA calls rogue stem cell clinics. So what's a rogue stem cell clinic? Well, they could be taking what they claim to, they could be taking uh, stem cells from the fat, just like we do, but they're using um, devices from uh, Korea and other, uh, well, generally devices from Korea that have never actually been used in an FDA trial, don't have clinical grade product, leave enzyme, residual enzyme in the product, and the yield from the fat of the stem cells is sometimes irrelevant. Hmm. So, the, so the patients are getting potentially um, you know, the enzyme's not good to have a lot in your system. Ours washes out 99.9%. So we know the patient's not getting the, I mean, you can't say 100% on anything, right? right. Except, except agreeing with your wife 100%. Of the <laughs> That's right. Wow. So, um, so, so there are a bunch of, of clinics like that. Then there are clinics that use bone marrow for orthopedic. And then there, there's a whole new wave of thing that happened started about three or four years ago where there are these chiropractors in particular, but also integrative doctors that use cord blood product or amniotic tissue product. And all those products have been um, tested by, the, um, by both the FDA and independent labs, and they don't actually have stem cells in them. They may have other growth factors and things, but um, the FDA's written, I think, about 12 warning letters that those products are can be contaminated hmm. and so Sounds dangerous it's dangerous oh no there there's a whole uh expose on one company called livion and it, it was a podcast called bad batch and these people got really really sick like it wasn't just a few and um we run into that kind of thing so that's why this federal right to try act for us is very important because it basically separates what the FDA calls the bad actors from the good actors if you're compliant with it. Now, I'm sure there's going to be somebody who says, well, you know, we're compliant with it because of blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the law says what the law says. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, for uh, a young student who was not good at math or biology, I am thoroughly impressed uh, with all of your knowledge. And more than anything, Matt, it sounds like you, you love what you're doing. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was five years old, I remember walking down the street where I lived and I remember thinking, I really like helping. And it's important to help people, you know, um, in Silicon Valley, they have where I grew up, they have a, a, a term about just, you know, um, 
new companies that create new categories and the, the leaders are always missionary, not just mercenary. They have a real purpose. They have a real reason. And, you know, I'm, I, I would like to make some money at this and I'd like to, um, you know, I'd like to make it a, a real commercial success. But the most important thing to me is the call I got from a patient just yesterday needed a little favor that we treated 18 months ago who had multiple joints with arthritis. He was not diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, but he had some, you know, curled up fingers, ankle was screwed up, had been prescribed a, a knee replacement. And he was probably the fastest, fastest patient we ever recruited because when I talked to him, he realized he didn't, he wanted to try the cell therapy first because he was going to get a knee replacement then he needed a hip replacement this all for his orthopedist. And then he had two bad shoulders that he probably would have needed shoulder surgery on. And his ankle was a mess and his fingers were curled up. And he says, yeah, you know, occasionally if I eat gluten, my fingers hurt, but I can type again. And uh, I'm walking and I'm flying uh, vintage aircraft again. And I'm doing all, I'm not sure he quit that, but, it, but he was, but he had a really, he just told me his quality of life before he was treated was horrible. And now it's, you know, imperfect, but great. I mean, you compare him to the average 60 something year old and he's doing probably better than most, but you know, most of us at our age, you're young, but most of us at our age have something to complain about. I have almost nothing. Cause of course I've eaten my own cooking. <laughs> right. But, um, that is a really rewarding phone call to get out of the blue. And he's 18 months out. He's not, he wasn't just treated yesterday. And I got a text from a woman that we treated for spinal cord injury a month ago. And wow, she's recovered the feeling in her feet and she can now walk every day with no assistance. That's incredible. So yeah, that's why I'm doing it. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. Now let's take one little trip to the future. Let's get in the DeLorean. And let's go out 100 years, okay, from now. Where do you see this technology? Where do you see this therapy in a century from now? Well, you know, um, I think that your own biology should, our own biology should be a catalyst for a renaissance in medicine, for a, a new phase, a new pillar of medicine that's safer, faster, cheaper, just like all the technologies. And as I like to say, look, just because we can um, Google or Facebook on our iPhone and we're connected to more people doesn't mean that the quality of life is better. Before this virus, which is horrible in and of itself, we were having a mass murder a day in the United States. At, there are over a hundred million people in the United States that have two or more morbidities, two or more chronic diseases. They cost our healthcare system 2.2 trillion. If we can harness this power, I don't know if people live a lot longer, but they'll live a lot better and the quality of our life and our, um, and the world in which we live should be significantly better and it shouldn't take a hundred years to get there. Well, that's exciting. Matt, this has been incredible. Uh, what a, an enlightening conversation. I'm, I'm feeling really good about this technology and where it could go. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to know you. <clears throat> I think you're a Renaissance man and um, because of your passion, I know you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you for introducing us to your product and uh, welcome to the American Real family. Uh, we will put your information in the show notes for people to contact you. Any last words before we let you go today? Well, I want to thank you because there are a lot of um, podcast hosts and social media people that have sort of a, um, a walled garden. And you reached out to me. Um, and it turns out we have mutual friends and, you know, different. Um, different realities that we share, but I just want to thank you for actually being interested in making the world a better place. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Matt Feshback, welcome again to the American Real family, and we will stay in touch. And let's do that second episode so we could learn more. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.